Well, welcome everybody. We are glad that you are with us. Kind of nice to have heat. Uh, thank you, Michael, and everybody else who works to make that happen and make it comfortable. You know, you don't even notice when you have it. Like most of our blessings, you only notice when you miss it. So we are grateful to those who worked hard for that. We are grateful to be in this comfortable environment. But mainly we are grateful for what Brother Dilworth talked to us about. Here we are assembled together to do the most important work in the world. That's what this is. Worshiping God, anticipating the victory of Jesus Christ, strengthening ourselves so we can go out and aid in the work that Jesus is doing in the world. It's the most important work in the world, what is happening right here, right now. And I'm glad that you're here to be a part of it. You know, you cannot look at the face of a baby without having a wealth of emotions. One of the emotions is, if the baby is cute, I'm really relieved that I can say the baby is cute to the parents. The other emotion is if the baby is, let's say, less than cute. Confusion as to what words would be appropriate to come out of my mouth right now. Because it's really wrong to say, would you like, <clears throat> can I pet your baby? That's wrong. But whatever the baby looks like, when a baby is born, one of the emotions we always feel is hope. Because this baby has a life ahead of it. And we all kind of are looking right at the beginning and saying, I wonder what this baby's going to be like. We've had babies born here at Wilshire. And we wondered, what are they going to be like? We've gotten to see them grow up. We're getting little hints of the kind of people that they are turning into. It's a fun process to get the first elements of the story. And you know, when you see a child beginning to grow, you, you, you kind of want to know what's going to come next. Are they going to be artistic? Are they going to be scientific? Are they going to be uh, political? What are they going to be like when they grow up? What kind of a person? What's the rest of the story going to be like? Babies represent hope. Peter is writing a letter to a group of churches that are struggling to find hope. So this week, and for the next several weeks, I'm going to, and Jeremy too, we're going to be working through 1 Peter to look at the things that Peter does to help these scattered churches, small little churches scattered all over 
the Mediterranean world, different pockets in the Roman Empire, to find hope. Because they are about to face a series of persecutions. We're not clear on exactly what the nature of the persecutions were. We're not clear if they were coming from local governments or some kind of imperial interference from Jews or non-Jews. A lot of things are foggy about what exactly was the trial. What's clear is multiple churches in multiple parts of the Roman Empire all are under duress because they're churches of Jesus Christ. And so Peter, the one who preached the gospel in Jerusalem first on the day of Pentecost, and then became a missionary going out to many, many of these same places that he's writing to now, preaching the gospel there as well. And finally ends up, this letter is written from Rome itself, where Peter will eventually be executed under the persecution by the emperor Nero. Peter says, here are some reasons why you can have hope. He writes this, his intro, verses 1 and 2, if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, Exiles scattered through the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Those are the places where the gospel has gone. Those are the places where this letter will be sent. And Peter uses very deliberate uh, language with these Christians. These are not, by and large, Jewish churches. These would be a majority Gentile churches. They are taken from the local population of Pontus and Bithynia and Galatia and Asia. They are Gentiles of various nationalities. And yet he says, what you are is God's elect, which is another word for God's chosen people. Very deliberately throughout this book, Peter is going to use the language of the Old Testament to describe the church. You are God's elect, God's chosen ones. God has plans for you. Before you ever existed, God had plans for you. And God is working his plans out in you. First message I want you to get, just from the opening, is this. Peter says, wherever you are, if, wherever we are, if we are Christ's church, we are God's chosen people. Amen. I don't know about you, but there are a lot of days where I don't feel very chosen by God. A lot of times I feel that I have disappointed God, because I have. And a lot of times I feel like I don't want to 
raise my eyes up to pray to God because I'm not worthy, and I'm not. But what the Word of God tells me, a lot of places, Peter is just one of the places, is that my feelings are not the dominating factor in my relationship with God. God views me as one of his elect. Because I am belonging to the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is working with his church to cleanse it and to, to make it suitable to bring home to his father, to present without spot or blemish so the wedding can one day take place. And I and you, regardless of how you feel, are part of God's elect as you are part of the church of Jesus Christ. That is a powerful thing to be told. We are sprinkled, he says, which is the way that in the Old Testament things and people were made holy and acceptable to God. Wherever you're living, whatever you're like, you are part of God's elect. He goes on. Look at verses 3 through 5 with me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in His great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. I don't feel like God's elect. I don't feel worthy to have this kind of a relationship with God. I don't live the way that I should live. You don't either. And we should do better. Don't get me wrong. But in the meantime, what the passage says is, God is active. He has given us a new birth. It's what God did when you put that, even that little mustard seed of faith you had in Jesus Christ. And that little mustard seed of repentance you had. To, to begin to turn away from sin. And that little mustard seed of confession in front of others to say, yes, Jesus is Lord, and one day will be victorious, and I claim him as my Savior. And that little mustard seed of faith that brought you to be buried so that your old life could die so that God could perform the miracle of raising you up in a new birth. That's what Peter's talking about here. It's not about you. As if it were, none of us would have any hope. It's about Jesus. Whatever we've done, if we are Christ's church, 
God has done this for us. And because God has done this for us, whatever we have done, God has a future prepared for us. That's what Peter assures these little scattered churches in Pontus and Bithynia and these places we have trouble pronouncing. Galatia and Asia. They're surrounded by cultures that are bigger and older and more wealthy and more prestigious than they have or ever will have in the first century. And the cultures surrounding them are saying, you're nothing. You're, a, you're some kind of craziness that has come over you. And, and you're going to give this up, you know. You're going to come to your senses and come back and join us in our pagan lifestyles or in our Jewish, uh, non-Christian Jewish life. You know you're going to give this up. It's going to come to nothing at all. And Peter says, you have a different hope than that. Whatever they're saying, here's what God's saying. Every bit of prestige, every bit of wealth, every bit of honor, every bit of authority and power that seems to be pressing in on these little churches on all sides, all of that is temporary. As Brother Dilworth said in our communion talk, it's peripheral. What's central is this. God is going to win, and his victory will last forever. And as you are in the church of Jesus Christ, you share in that victory. That's what Peter tells them. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Whatever we've done, whatever kind of people we've been, as we are given the new birth, if we are Christ's church, God is protecting our place in his coming kingdom. God is active on your behalf because you, with your little mustard seed, I'm not saying it, need, it doesn't need to get bigger. Jesus was always hoping people's faith would get bigger. Oh, ye of little faith. He always was complaining about that. He wants your faith to grow. But even your little mustard seed of faith is causing God to act on your behalf to protect your place in the kingdom of heaven. Look at verses 6 through 9 with me. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your lives or of your souls. 
Peter is writing to churches that are under pressure. They live in a fallen world. As Brother Dilworth reminded us, the breaking news is pretty bad. It's always bad. This weekend was particularly horrified. We saw evidence of a brutal beating in Memphis. And we're shaken when that happens, although we know violence like that is sadly not uncommon in our country and not uncommon around the world. It's a, it's a wicked world. And I like what Brother Dilworth said. He said, that's horrible news, but it is peripheral to the main news. You know, my view is Christians are called to work for justice now and to pray for the coming of perfect justice that only God can bring. I don't think it's either or, it never should be. I think the privileges you have as a citizen, you should use to make justice come. You have the right to vote, you have the right to express your views peacefully to the government. You have lots of other rights. They may not last forever. Use them while you got them. I think all of those things are valid. But as a Christian, what's, what makes the difference for Christians with our political action is that Christians know the final justice is coming from God's hands. And we know political action can lead to hate of the enemy. But as Christians, we know Jesus called us to love even our enemies. As Christians, we know that political action can lead us to compromise our morality to try and achieve our political gains. And as followers of Christ, we know the gospel comes first and God's will with it. If I cannot win a political battle except by evil means, that is a battle God does not want me to win. This is a wicked world. Peter's not pulling any punches. The Bible never pulls punches about that. Mardell's bookstore pulls punches about that. The Bible does not. I, you know, I like Mardell's. It's, it's got good stuff, but... The Bible tells you again and again, this is a wicked world in which we live. And this is a world that, even if you've done nothing at all wrong, may be hostile to you because of the church you belong to. The church of Jesus Christ. May have nothing to do with you. You may have messed up, but even if you didn't, you may face hostility. And so Peter sends out this message of hope. He says, look, even gold, the purest gold that's refined by fire, that can't rust, it can't tarnish, it stays forever. If we bury gold and dug it up 2,000 years for, from now, it would still be shiny if it was pure gold. Even gold perishes eventually. You know what doesn't ever, ever, ever perish? The Christian hope. 
If you are saved by Jesus Christ, you will be, your salvation, if you receive the kingdom of heaven, it will last forever. Forever. With no end. And he says, that's the hope that makes you live differently right now. When people with more money than you and more power than you and more prestige in the culture than you say you're wrong, your hope is what makes you say, I'm not wrong. Because I'm with Jesus Christ in his church. And in fact, it becomes an honor, Peter says. And he really does say this. And he's going to say it multiple times in this letter. It becomes an honor even to suffer. Because this is a wicked world. And in a wicked world, the righteous suffer. And it becomes an honor to suffer. One of the things that will be a jewel in your crown, Peter describes. One of the things that will enhance your glory in the kingdom that comes. Is that in this life, you did suffer for the church of Jesus Christ. Look down at verses 10 through 12. The last little bit I want to look at today. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even the angels desire to look into these things. That's an amazing passage to me. It says, if you're a Christian right now, and it's still true for us 2,000 years later. If you're a Christian in the first century in Pontus and Bithynia, hugging the south side of the Black Sea, or you're a Christian in the 21st century in Oklahoma City on Wilshire Boulevard, the prophets like Samuel and Elijah and Isaiah and Amos, and Micah. The Holy Spirit was giving them little glimpses of a glorious conclusion to the story. Even the angels in heaven were watching the story of Israel and God's plan unfold, and they didn't know how it was going to turn out. And we are the ones who are getting the benefit of living in the last stages of God's plan. That's what he said. That's what this means. In our family, I'm sad that my father and my mother don't get to see 
my grandkids grow up. My mother lived long enough to meet some of her grandchildren. And my faith tells me that my mother is still alive in a different place. And I think she's kind of like the angels with her grandchildren. The angels are looking to see how we play out this story. I think she's looking that way with her, her great-grandchildren. And if you think about it like that, Hebrews chapter 13 says, here when we're in church, we are together with the saints that are all over the world. We're also with those who have, those spirits who have been made perfect, those spirits who have gone on. Think about those spirits that are watching you. Peter's talking about Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos. And for sure, those spirits are watching us. We worked hard, we suffered, we preached, we did our best. I wonder what these folks are going to do. Now that they live in this stage of God's plan. But you've got people in your life who've gone on. They also are eager to see what you will do with what you have been given. The period in God's plan that you have been blessed to live in. Peter says... This will give you hope and this will give you strength, whatever the world throws at you, to realize that you've been blessed to live in this last phase, this kingdom period, when the church of Jesus Christ is allowed to be blessed by the Holy Spirit to exist on, in the world, to fight this fight here and now is the culmination of what all of our ancestors fought for. I think of my great-grandfather, Brother Breedlove, the only name that I was ever given for him. I don't even know his first name. He was an evangelist in the 1800s in Arkansas. Preached all around, helped start churches all around in Arkansas. I think of the Morrow family from Tennessee. Built the roofs on church buildings all over southern Tennessee. These are my, the spirits that are watching me. You've got spirits that are watching you. And tomorrow, when the world says, forget about whatever it was you were talking about in church yesterday. This week, when Satan says, you can repent on Saturday and get ready for Sunday. Meanwhile, let's live like this other way. 
This week, you need to live in your hope. You need to live in the realization that you are fulfilling what generations and generations and generations before you have anticipated and looked for. When we live our lives faithfully in Christ's church, we are living the final stages of God's great plan. The world is peripheral, as Brother Dilworth said. I love that. That just struck me so hard this morning, Brother Dilworth. The world is peripheral. It's Christ's gospel that is central. And we have the privilege right now of living in that gospel, of living in that plan. This week, whatever hits you, you have the privilege of living out the good news of Jesus Christ. May God give us all strength to live in such a way that we can display the church of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, please help each one of us to be faithful members of your son's church this week. God, help each one of us to work for justice in an unjust world, to speak up when, and not be silent when we need to be. God, help us to pray and to be faithful, to resist evil and to do good. God, day by day, build in us the character of your son, Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord, to find those who are hurting and to show your love to them. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.